How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Good. Welcome to Renewal Church. My name is Kevin Sampson. I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, um, it's great to see you this morning. We're continuing our, our series. Uh, this is the second week going through the book of Jonah. So I want to encourage you to open up your Bibles. Um, if you have one, if you need one, there's always some in the back, or you can pull it up on your phones. And as we go through this series, there's really two things that I, I want us, uh, that I'm really just praying that God would just uh, um, impress upon our lives. And the first is that the mercy and kindness of God would take up more space in our lives. Uh, just the, the, what we're just singing about would, would take up more space in, in our lives. That we'd hear the voice of God that uh, we are not lost, that we are the found ones because Jesus has pursued us and we're his. And, and he did that out of his great mercy and kindness. And like, I just, yeah, I just pray that God just, that, that just takes up more space in your life. That's not just some idea or it's not just something we hear, but it's actually a reality that, that changes our hearts and it's reality we live out of. And the second thing is that the mercy and kindness of God would be displayed not just in your life, but through our lives in greater ways. And really, and part of that part of being a Christian is this recognition that the incredible mercy of Jesus Christ, that he has given our life so that we could find our life in him, but that mercy that we've received isn't just meant to work in you, it's actually meant to work through you. So, so we're like, we're like uh, supposed to be like fizzy people. What does that mean? I, when I was a kid growing up, my, my dad always had uh, um, a two liter of uh, Coke, and he always had lifesavers. And, uh, you know, there was always like, uh, he's always pouring glasses of Coke, and you just see, you know, like you've seen it before when someone pours some pop, the fizz just like overflows and it comes out. But in my home, we had uh, the two liter and we had the lifesavers. And I don't know if you've ever put lifesavers in a two liter bottle of Coke. It's amazing. I mean, it, it, yeah, I mean, it'll shoot up six, 10 feet in the air. In the reality, I mean, we're that's how the mercy of God is supposed to work in our lives. We're supposed to be fizzy people. We're just this, this mercy just explodes out of our life, overflowing, spilling onto people um, and into places all around you. And so your desire really and your willingness to obey God and, and to allow God's mercy to work through you, really, um, it isn't just like kind of an extra thing that God might do. It really is one of the primary indicators of our spiritual maturity. So knowing the Bible is good. We're going to be people who continue to labor and, and love and, and love the scriptures, and coming to church is good. Those are really good things. Helping people who you like is good. But spiritual maturity is really about obeying God's word and, and experience God's grace and mercy in your life in such a way that it explodes onto other people, especially those whom you don't like or don't like you. So when you find yourself in a position where you don't want to obey God's word or, or you don't want to extend mercy, uh, you don't want to extend forgiveness towards others, it, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that God's mercy isn't at work in your life, but it does mean you have some growing to do. 
And so, so that's what just, the, I, I want God's mercy to take up more space in our life and, and somehow it would be displayed through our life in, in greater ways. So Jonah 1, just a little recap. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Uh, Jonah was a successful prophet. Uh, he was a highly esteemed, much loved, respected, professional preacher um, in Israel. God invites Jonah to be a part of doing something significant and something great for a people that Jonah hated, the Ninevites. And they were, you know, the, a big, evil, large empire that was really at odds with the nation of Israel. And God said, hey, go, go there, and I'm going to do something great for you. And Jonah said, uh, I'm going to go the other direction. And he ran away the other way as fast as he could. He gets on a boat. God sends this storm. The ship is about to go under. The crew on this, this boat doesn't know what's going on. They're all afraid. They're about to die. Jonah is now below deck, the scriptures say, in a deep sleep, unconcerned at all for the well-being of anyone. So pick it up with me in, in chapter 1, verse 7. So then the sailors, they say to one another, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And casting lots, and, I mean, it was a way that in the ancient world, people tried to discern the will of the gods. And so it was kind of like throwing dice, and somehow it worked. And the amazing thing is, uh, so they cast the lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And so, look, they threw this dice, and they're like, it's Jonah's fault. And they're right. Um, so they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. But the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? And Jonah says, pick me up. Throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men, they did their best to row back to land, but they couldn't. And the sea grew even wilder than before, and they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then... They took Jonah, they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows to him. So two things that I really want us to see this morning in, uh, here in Jonah's life. And the, and the first thing is, be careful of a shallow, disordered heart. So, so we see this at Jonah, he's this religious Leader, He's this powerful preacher. He really has this effective ministry, and uh, he has a shallow, disordered heart. And what do I mean? I mean, shallow meaning like his Christianity is an inch deep, and disordered means like there, there's a whole lot of other things in priority in his life way ahead of God. But he's built this life that's full of religious activity. He's been successful, really calling other people into this deeper relationship with God. But now here's Jonah being exposed for being shallow. 
And what's really interesting about the book of Jonah is a number of scholars really believe that Jonah himself actually wrote this book. And um, you just see a number of the details here and, and the descriptions of how they're said there, they come across more autobiographical in nature. And so really, like I'm criticizing Jonah, but he's the one who wrote this. And so what I think Jonah, he, he graciously wants us to see his shallow heart so that really our, our hearts might, might move to a deeper, richer place. So they're in the middle of this disastrous storm, and they realize that Jonah is the problem. So they pepper him with questions. What do you do? You know, where do you come from? What country are you from? Who are your people? You know, they're asking, what's your nationality? I mean, who are you? And Jonah just says a couple. He just says really two things. He says, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord. And there's a couple significant things here. The first thing is, it's significant what he doesn't say. I mean, Jonah doesn't answer the question, the first question they ask, what do you do? He doesn't ask it. I mean, he essentially, in that moment, he has ignored his God-given, unique call upon his life. The guy's a, a preacher. He's called to um, give people the word of God, and that's what he's done with his life. He knows it consciously. He knows it deep within his soul. That's what he does, and he doesn't even, it's like he's ashamed of the whole thing. So it's significant he doesn't say that, but it's also uh, significant of what he does say. I mean, even though the question about his, really his country and his nationality and his ethnicity comes last in this list of questions, Jonah actually answers it first. And this, there's a, one commentator, he said this. He said, Jonah does this because it's his nationality, it's Jonah's race and ethnicity. That mattered more to him than his faith. That's why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't like them. And what we see here with Jonah, there's this, there's this conflict in his life. And when the loyalty to his people was in conflict with the loyalty to God's word, he chose his nationalistic interests, his, his racial, his ethnic preferences. I mean, he chose that overtaking God's love and God's message of mercy and kindness to a people who are ethnically other. I mean, let's just put it at simply, I mean, Jonah doesn't want people who don't look like him, who don't talk like him, who don't vote like him, who don't eat like him, who don't dress like him, who don't smell like him, who don't believe like him. He doesn't want them to know God's love and mercy. And this is the thing, I was talking to, you know, when I talk to people about the book of Jonah, it's just one of those books where you're like, there's so many parts where you're like, oh, I'm like Jonah. And I know this isn't an easy one, but if you don't think we're not just like Jonah, we're fooling ourselves. I mean, we see look, we are a, a society that's just deeply divided by racial and ethnic differences. I mean, we're a church. Let's just start with a church. Let's just start with God's people. We're deeply divided. And when we choose to exclude and when we choose to avoid people who are racially, ethnically different than us for any reason. What we're doing is we're actually revealing, just like Jonah, we're revealing the shallowness 
and the disorderedness of our own lives and our own hearts. So look, the, kind of in these, with, you see these kinds of things in the scriptures, and part of me wants to give, there's, I mean, I could give all kinds of examples, I could give all kinds of il- illustrations of how this plays out, but I, as I've just been working through this, I don't, my desire, it, it, my aim isn't to incite guilt I'm not trying to, for anyone to feel threatened or, or any, this isn't meant to be divisive. My heart is really to help our heart be like God's heart. And so we have to just see, like, when these, these divisions that we have and are, reveal the shallowness of our heart. And a couple things, I just observations within this that I, I want us to see is that our propensity to exclude rather than embrace, it isn't just an American thing. It isn't just a white thing. It isn't just a black thing. It isn't just a Hispanic thing. It isn't just an Asian thing. It isn't just a poor thing. It's a rich thing. Or it isn't just a rich thing, sorry. Uh, it's, it's all those things. Hey, I said it. Uh, there it goes. But it, it really, it's a human thing. Look, this, the, the book of Jonah is you know, over 2,500 years old. There's a reason why this, this, this account of what happened to Jonah has made it uh, this long, because we're not the first people to be in this situation where racial, ethnic, nationalistic preferences really lead us to uh, ignore and, and exclude and, and neglect the, the reality of, of embracing others. We're not the first people to be here. I mean, it is a human thing. So look, it's okay when it's the shallowness of our heart in this area is exposed. It's okay to be like, look, uh, this is how it's true. It's real. And it's not just real out there, but we need to begin to say it's real in here. And it's real in here. It's real for us. And so it's a human thing. So, so, so what do we do? I think, man, if you, do you have any significant relationships with anyone around you that is of a different ethnicity, that is a different color, that is of a different culture? And if the answer is no, look, you've got to ask yourself, is there, there's, is there some sort of disorder in your heart? Look, even if you're not avoiding people of different cultures or ethnicities on purpose, look, Somehow we found a way to organize our life around this. So what do we do? The first thing I think we do is we make room around our dinner table. Look at the places you, you eat and just ask yourself, look, how can I invite other people into this? And, and look, or you could do kind of things that I do. You can just invite yourself into their life. <laughs> so invite yourself into someone else's table. And I really believe until we are find ways to really be in meaningful relationships with people of different ethnicities, until someone who looks different than you, who is from a different place, who may speak different than you, actually becomes a mentor of you, we're really not going to understand just, not just how shallow our hearts are, but just how much God has for us as he, when we come together. So look, so do this. Invite yourself in to get to know some other people. And look, I know this is, some of this is easier for some than others, but a couple tips. Look, ask questions. Listen to people's story. 
And do it, look, with a posture of humility. I mean, don't assume you know uh, someone because you know someone else who has the same skin color. Get to know everyone's story for their own story. And this doesn't happen overnight. I mean, this is something that takes months, if, if really, if, it, if not years, I mean, just to build any kind of real meaningful relationship. It takes a lot of time. Just because you know someone from a particular place that looks a certain way doesn't mean you know them all. Build, and look, building relationships, it takes courage. Look, we're going, like the, the work of the devil divides. And I think this is one of the primary ways God is dividing his people for millennia. It's happened to Jonah, it's happened to us. And so look, it takes courage. But look, I believe as, as you engage in these kinds of relationships, there really is this, a special kind of grace that God has for you. He does. I think it, when we see at the end of history, or I should say the completion of history, it is a picture of people of every nation, tribe, and tongue together. And so as we enter into doing this together, to figuring out how this works, to feeling the awkwardness of it, to tripping over, you know, saying things that we didn't mean to say or parts of our lives that we realize like, oh my gosh, I have more prejudice than I ever, when, look, God has special grace for you in that process because that's actually the place where he's taking us all one day. And so look, just see, just step in with courage, knowing that God has something meaningful for you. So the first thing we just see is from Jonah is be careful of this shallow, disordered heart. Now I don't want to, um, I want to give Jonah some credit. The second thing I want us to see is that Jonah's sacrificial love. Look, it's not all bad, but, but Jonah actually does something, and you see that he comes to his senses at one point. And he realized that he has disobeyed God and he deserves death. And so you begin to see that he's finally, like, he's submitting himself to God. And, you know, others said, Jonah is so against going to those, those dirty Ninevites. You know, I've, as I've, I've tried to lay out, I've just tried to read a number of uh, commentators and scholars on this. And it was like, it was split between... Uh, you know, half said, oh, the whole reason Jonah um, says he wants to kind of be thrown overboard is because he just so hated the Ninevites that he'd rather have death than to, you know, find a way to get back and do what God said. So that's what happened. The other just said, like, you no, know, like, it actually was a selfless decision um, that he realized he disobeyed God and, and he's just trying to help, you know, save other people. And, and so that's what he does. So look, I don't know. I think it's probably somewhere in the middle. Um, they're two totally different things, but when Jonah says, pick me up, throw me into the sea, um, is he submitting to God? Is he rebelling against God? I mean, which is it? Uh, in the middle. But what I really think is Jonah's actually, he's starting to come to his senses. And it's not because he's looking at God, it's because he's starting to think of others. You see this in verse 12, he says, pick me up, Throw me into, into the sea. I know that this is my fault, that this great storm has come upon you. So, so he's finally, like he's coming to his senses and he's, he's thinking of someone besides himself and he's looking at others with the eyes of love. 
Look, he's looking at the, them and saying, look, your lives are in jeopardy because of me. Look, this, this isn't right. You shouldn't be dying for me. I'm the one who should be dying for you. It's my fault, Jonah's saying, that this isn't right. This isn't fair. Like He's, he's saying, I'm sorry. And he's saying, look, if you don't, like, you shouldn't die for me. I should die for you. So just, just throw me in. And what do they do? They don't want to do it at first. Look, these sailors, they don't want to do it. But when they finally do, look at what happens. You see in verse 15, it says, The raging sea grew calm. And at this, it says, the men greatly feared. Now, now what's interesting, at first this doesn't really make sense. Because you see verses 4 through 4 and 5, it says, There's a storm, and then there's fear. Verses 10 and 11, you see there's a bigger storm, and then you see there's bigger fear. And then in verse 15, you see no storm, and what you'd expect is that there is no fear. But, but what, is, what does it actually says? It says there's actually great fear. There's great fear. So what's going on here? In, I, uh, geez, a number of years ago, I, I remember just reading Psalm 130, and uh, the, the writer of the psalm is just, crying out to God, and he says, you have forgiven me, therefore I fear you. And I remember reading that a while ago, and it's, it was confusing to me, you know, because when you think of fear of the Lord, you think, you know, being scared of him. And the sailors have been scared of God. I mean, they were crying out, don't kill us, don't kill us, but now something new has happened. I mean, it's the Psalm 130 kind of thing's has happened. It's, it's when Psalm says, you forgave me, and now I fear you. And it doesn't mean they're scared and frightened. It means they're in awe. It means whatever just happened, there is wonder and heart-penetrating, really heart-realigning amazement. And the sailors weren't just saying, wow, isn't, isn't this amazing? I mean, our lives were in danger. We threw him overboard, and, and now we are safe. I mean, they're, they're saying, uh, I, we have never seen an act of love like this. They saw the sacrifice of love. They were all about to die trying to save Jonah, but Jonah said, I would rather lose my life saving you. And so they, so they were amazed at the sacrifice of love. They were amazed at really just this this. Storm, they were afraid of it, and, and the wrath of God, which they felt that was coming furiously upon their lives. And then they were amazed at the God who accepted that sacrifice of love and brought calm and peace to their lives. And all this, the result of that, they began to experience the real fear of the Lord, which isn't this cowering, being afraid, being frightened, but in awe and wonder and amazement. It's the fear that it says in 1 John that casts out all other fear because it's amazement at the love of God. And Jonah, this, it's this sacrificial moment where his uh, sacrificial love really points to a greater sacrificial love. And Jesus picks this up, I and mean, he says the very thing himself in Matthew chapter 12, is there's, there's some people who come to Jesus, and they, they, they demand this miracle from Jesus just to prove who he really is. And Jesus says, look, the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of the prophet Jonah. 
He says, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jonah threw himself in the water and a fish came and rescued him because God knew that Jonah's sacrifice would only help in that circumstance, but it wouldn't help our circumstance. It was as if there was really only, we all know this, there was really only one storm that can take you out. At the end of your life, and, and as you look at all that you've done, I mean, really the question is, we all know, like how are you going to stand before God knowing really what we all know, that deep down inside that we are guilty, that the things we bring to the table really aren't enough, that um, like Jonah, our heart is disordered, and, and our heart is shallow, Jesus says, Jonah may have gone down under the water, but Jesus says about himself that I'm going under the injustice of your sin, and I'm going to take the punishment of all your sin. I gave my life, Jesus says, for yours. And the result is your peace and your calm. And if I know that I am loved because Jesus did that for me, then and only then can I really get rid of my own fear. Look, I can't get rid of my fear by building higher walls. I can't get rid of fear by insurance policies or, or get, I can't get rid of fear through padding my savings account. Um, I, I just, I, there's no way that I can get rid of fear. And I'll end with this. It's just the only way that we can get rid of fear is to know that the one who made the universe, who spun the galaxy into being, I don't remember all the words, but there's billions of something and stars and sparks that are coming forth and, it's, and, and the one who is all-powerful loves me. And, and the only way I know this is, is, is because Jesus is the ultimate Jonah, the only one who's willing to sacrifice his own life and die for you. And so look, this is, there's gonna be a fish that's gonna save Jonah, uh, but this, this really, the, the book of Jonah, I've said this, isn't about a, a big fish. It's about the great mercy of God and how Jesus came, gave his life so that you could find yours and that this, this peace and this calm and this wholeness and this newness of life can become yours. So let me pray for us and then we're gonna take the Lord's Supper. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your kindness in our life. We thank you for uh, your word. We thank you that um, Jonah, several millennia ago, was humble and vulnerable enough to, to share his foolishness uh, so that our hearts don't have to be shallow in the same ways that his was. So Lord, I pray that you just continue to deepen your mercy in our lives and uh, that make us conscious of ways that we're withholding mercy, that we're excluding others. And uh, Lord, when that happens, may we just be reminded of your sacrificial love for us. May it just, just wreck us and change us and, and uh, may we never be afraid to, to confess and to, to embrace 
So Lord, we love you. And as we take the Lord's Supper, I mean, this is a moment where we um, really can taste and see that you are good to us. And so Lord, we ask that that happen as we do this together. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.